it's okay, you're in the right place, this is the Cafe Coucho Podcast. Hey y'all, you're listening to Resonance 104.4 FM. Evening or good morning if you're listening to the repeat. This is Cafe Calcio, Thursday night, 6.30 on Resonance 104.4 FM, the show that examines the sport of football in the cultural context. I'm Chris Dixon and regular co-presenters Chris Roberts and Amanda Dax join me. Hello, guys. Hi. Hello. You're all right there? I'm fine, thanks. Excellent. That's, that's nice to hear. Uh, no David Stubbs this week. He's somewhere else doing something else. We're not going to mention where because it's a rivalry that I don't really want to go into. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, I'm sure, you know... I can blackmail him into making sure he doesn't do this again. Anyway, yes, uh, we've got rid of one David this week, but we've brought two in it's in like his a Greek place. Legend, isn't it? It's like the Hydra. Yeah. <laughs> You cut off one head and, and another two. two. It's brilliant. It's, it's, it's much better. Well, you see, I'm clever, I hope. <laughs> I, and I sure, believe. Yes. Sure, it is. Yes. <laughs> so uh, on the phone, we've brought in David Chigi from the Chelsea Supporters Trust. How are you, David? I'm very well, thank you. Excellent. There he is. Brilliant. That works. Like the phone here. Uh, and in the studio from City AM journalist and Chelsea fan David Hellier. Good evening. Hi. Good evening. Um, thank you both for your involvement this evening. Oh, as you can probably tell out there, guys, tonight's show does. Come cast an eye towards Chelsea. Last month, Chelsea defeated QPR 2-1 at home in what notionally was a local derby that somewhat lacked atmosphere, shall we say. After that game, Blues manager Jose Mourinho did something quite unusual for whatever reason. He did that thing managers really shouldn't do, and that's he criticised his own fans' lack of... Passion. Passion and volume, perhaps, should we say. Um... It's a bit naughty, really. I don't know if there was any kind of deflection as to whether or not his team were actually dross that afternoon, only beating QPR 2-1 or, or whatever else. There are lots of reasons Have that all contribute. the blue pill gags been done about raising temperature and stamina? Just we'll do them it. now. Oh, that's it, really. That's the end of it. I <laughs> Is it? Yeah. Okay. Well, I haven't, I, I haven't, I haven't written any Stiff, Stiffen the, stiff the defence, that kind of thing. Uh, no, no not been done. nothing to do. OK, sorry. Yeah. That's fine. I could have worked on that, couldn't I? Just what, into my what Viagra references? Yes, yeah, Viagra references. I could have worked loads of those in. You yeah, could. Yeah. Could you not work anything in at all? No, Especially not no, on Viagra, if that's sideways. okay with no, me. couldn't do it, that. Yeah, good. Good. Sorry about that, everyone. I just wanted to lower the tone immediately. So what, we brought Chelsea fans in. What do, what need do we have of that? I, I, I have very high regard for Chelsea fans, as you know. Of course you do. Mr Glanville is yeah. a historian. Yep. Yeah, uh, uh, of course, sorry. Anyway, yes, Jose Mourinho criticising fans. He's part blame fans for the team's performance. There are a number of reasons we'll go into, uh, but let's examine firstly whether or not he was right to do so. Uh, Before we do that, of course, you can get in contact with the show. Uh, You can contact us via Twitter at Cafe Calcio. You can email Cafe Calcio at gmail.com. Dot com. Uh, yeah, we would appreciate your input and your feedback. If you're listening, let us know. Uh, we've got music from Jerry Mulligan and, of course, being a vaguely Chelsea-related show, we'd have to play the Liquidator, wouldn't okay. we? Yeah, Good. so yeah, we I will love, be. I love that. That's another we thing I like about be. Chelsea is uh, that they kept that the tune. The best thing about the beginning of a game. Yeah. Sort of, uh, yeah, no, fantastic. Yeah, heart goes, doesn't it? Which yeah, yeah, yeah. your team, but it's... But against know, West Brom, my, my son, who's only nine, seems to know that it's also the West Brom song. 
So it could, be, it could be interesting on Saturday. It yeah. could be, but we don't actually do this very often in no. Radio Land. We don't say before the show we mentioned this, but actually, this Amanda is... Jacks has a little fact, yeah. a factoid right. to tell us it's about the liquidator. It's been banned. At Where? West Brom. At by West Brom. Safety advisory group because oh, they, really? they, they, they... Oh, what <laughs> joyful people they must be. Well, they'll, they'll be extra especially pleased to sing it on Saturday. The, yes, they'll they, 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 they sing something rude, don't they? They do, yeah. and that yeah. isn't conducive to a family atmosphere, oh, right. and it might incite violence, right. would you believe? Right. So, um, well, yeah, family club, West Brom, right? Well, clubs are family clubs exactly. nowadays, aren't they? Yeah. I've yeah. got a feeling we're building up to a very good atmosphere on Saturday, by the way. I think so. Yeah. Well, we're helping now. I and think. hopefully tonight as well. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. What, what do you mean building to? Bang, right there it is. Atmosphere Ow. straight away. Sorry, Amanda, I didn't mean to hit you. It's all right. Okay, so, yes. Uh, they ban it. They ban they Yeah, banned they did. That? And, and they, uh, they, they tried to make a comeback, but no. No liquidator at the no, Hawthorns the anymore. Hawthorns. Uh, i tell you where it is, and that's at Six Fields. Northampton's ground, which yes. I think is brilliant, because when I'm covering commentary of, of Colchester United, if they're playing Northampton or whatever, or Southend or whatever division Northampton are in now, who really cares? Um, liquidators on cobblers, cobblers, hmm. and I think I think that's wonderful. But West Brom said something a bit a bit naughtier than that. Travel Villa, have sex and travel yeah. Villa. I'm going to go very far. <laughs> no. No, yeah. not conducive to the family atmosphere. No, whereas at Chelsea, think it, of them. Yeah, whereas at Chelsea, it's so exactly the opposite. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it's part of the atmosphere. Mm. Uh, yeah. yeah, we were talking about it on the way to school yesterday. He was saying, you know, I, I don't know, just it's, it's, a, it's a big thing, and the, and the fact that West Brom have it too. So that's interesting that you yeah. found that out. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, David uh, Chigi, let's 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 ask you actually briefly about the liquidator as an atmosphere setter. So, what, what does does the does that record play, and then the players come out, and then the atmosphere just dies at Stamford Bridge? Well, it, the liquidator is still played now, and of course, it goes back to the sixties and seventies uh, for us. I, I don't know about the uh, the baggies, but I would imagine it would probably go back to the same vintage. But uh, that was a great classic song that we all, all used to have in, in the shed before the match, and it still continues now. People join in, people clap, we don't say anything rude, we just say Chelsea, although for some people that would be quite rude, I'm sure. Um, but I think the problem, the problem is, mate, is that, uh, you know, you go back to the 60s and the 70s, um, obviously in the shed everybody was standing. You'd have to get in there half an hour to an hour before the game started so that you could get a decent spot and sit with your mate or stand with your mates. And I think, you know, with nothing else to do, you would sing. And, of course, the problem now, I mean, I, I'm as guilty of, of this as anybody, as we all have seats. We sit in the pub for as long as we possibly can and we all rock up about two or three minutes before the game starts. And I, and I think that is one of the main problems with atmosphere at most football grounds, not just Chelsea. Um, you say you've, you're in the pub as late as possible. Yeah. So that would seem to suggest that regardless of, and may I just cast complete aspersions, <laughs> that, you know, there's, there's a touch of the sort of less boisterous, sort of less working sort of class element to you, just on in the nature of your voice alone. Apologies, but... Um, I, how, how horribly judgmental. Exactly. It, it's, but that's not to say that you don't like to get absolutely <coughs> trolleyed and have a good sing-song. I couldn't possibly comment, Chris, but I think Amanda would know that that is probably true. It is. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, it's a fair point, actually. I mean, t- talking being in the pub beforehand, I mean, and Chelsea, in many respects, very, very lucky that uh, we're absolutely surrounded by pubs. Uh, what's happened in the last kind of five to ten years is that they've slowly closed or been changed into wine bars or, you know, the, the Chelsea supporters who turn up once a fortnight are, 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 are thoroughly discouraged. And, of course, beforehand, in the old days, you'd all get together in the pub and you'd have a good old sing-song there. But uh, a bit Which like, still uh, happens. A bit like the Hawthorns, uh, you know, whatever the equivalent of the safety advisory group for pubs is, have pretty much kicked out singing everywhere. It's impossible now to go to a what was a traditional Chelsea pub before the match and have a good sing-song. So, 
It's not just inside the ground that we've been affected, it's actually outside the ground too. Now, speaking as a Palace fan, I, I, I know that there are at, at least sort of four or five point pubs on my route from station to ground where you will hear singing either before or after the game. So, I mean, that's not something that I've necessarily encountered in, in pubs around South Norwood. But South Norwood and Chelsea are two rather well, different environs, right? You know, we are in many respects in Chelsea a victim of our environment because, of course, it's a very wealthy area. And I mean, I, I, the, Chris, I, Chris Roberts, you're laughing at that phrase. It's just such a lovely thing to say. Yeah, we're a victim of our environment. You know, we just, we've got wine bars everywhere. To, <laughs> <laughs> tapas bars, for God's sake, can't we have a chippy? You know? <laughs> it was lovely. It was... They laugh, but it's true. I mean, the pub that I used to go to uh, on, the, on the King's Road, uh, before and afterwards, you go into the pub afterwards, let's say you've won, you're feeling really boisterous, you want to have a skinful to celebrate and have a good old sing-song. They would actually move you out of that pub systematically at 7 o'clock so that they could get the Tobys and the Henriettas in there because they want their money, not ours. It's as simple as that. True. But if you're rugby fans, it's a different ball game. No well, that, pun that's intended. Isn't it? You know, that's just boisterous and laddish behaviour, mm. isn't it? But another thing, even if you do get into a ground early, the number of times I've been to games and there is a bit of an atmosphere building with the away fans and the home games... What happens? The DJ, club DJ, then turns on the music at 5,000 million decibels and drowns out any hope of a natural organic atmosphere growing mm. in the ground too. I think that's a good point, Amanda. You know, funnily enough, after I wrote my piece on, on the atmosphere, I had, I had a good chat with Rob Shepherd, who you may know. Uh, who's also yeah, I know, I know him, yeah. I, I don't. Who is Rob Shepherd? Rob, Rob he used to work at Express with me, yeah. Journalist. Um, so he's a journalist. He is, yeah. Okay. He's also a West Ham fan, like, like Amanda, and, and he was saying, you know, most of the points you made are spot on, and actually he was saying that uh, you know, West Ham have ruined We're Forever Blowing Bubbles because it's, it's almost become almost like, you know, a show tune down there, which he hates. He said it used to be sporadic and spontaneous and, you know, well-loved by the fans, but now it's stage-managed, and, it, and it's kind of ruined it. And I think, you know, you're right. I think a lot of clubs are doing that with the way that they put music in before. I mean, the thing, the thing that I, I really dislike at Stamford Bridge is at the end of the game, because at the end of the game, you really just want to have the, you know, spontaneity of the crowds. And, and although I love Blue is the Colour, I just don't want it drowning out the crowd at the mm. end of the match. That's um, a really good point, David. But on the other hand, isn't it fantastic when we ha- when we have a great win like we did in that run to the Champions League final? When you hear one step beyond booming out, see, I think I think if you use that very rarely, I agree with you. But, but it's got to be. On. I I think here if you say booming out, that's the problem. I don't think anyone has got any problem with music being played at the <laughs> match at the, before or after. But they used to come across like the technology of PA has moved on so much. So they used to come out of tinny little speakers and they wouldn't really drown out a crowd noise so much, more as it would just be there, this buzzing in the background that was almost quite comforting. Now, if they do play music, it's just coming through these huge, great full-range speakers that clubs have invested monstrous amounts of cash in and are looking to sort of... Excellent. um, Are looking to really kind of use those to their full potential to try and build an atmosphere and they're getting it completely yeah. wrong I, 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 this is a bit of an out there theory but I think music's also used as an element of crowd control you notice they do it at Wembley if, mm. you, if oh. you've if you won they play happy happy um, tunes for the yeah. fans who have won they can sing along and sing to Amarillo or whatever and then uh, half an hour later you're still in the ground singing or whatever and you've got so the they make it more like a away. disco well no it, it's about it's about getting the I mean they, they, the they, they the do ground. usually play some quite you know some app songs so Chelsea they'll play Blue is the Colour and you know and uh, the Madness songs and stuff but but it goes on relentlessly and it, it just doesn't allow any room at all for spontaneous singing and chanting and yeah. uh, originality almost as though but, they don't want that transported outside the ground but uh, but but I do think sorry David I, I do think one, one really cru- I mean one crucial thing that um, I noticed going to Germany for the Ch- Champions League game was, um, you know, just the lack of um, people aged between 18 and 35 at football uh, in the Premier League. You know, and, and that's when, when I was that age, you know, that's when, you know, we were, we were, we were making the most noise. And um, we've sort of extricated that whole generation, I think. 
Um, I mean, if I look at, you know, I went in the East End the other day, top tier of the East End. It is really like a Saga Holidays outing. It's, it's, I, I was, I'm 54. I was kind of about the youngest there. Um, and, um, you know, I just think there's something about pricing. And, and as clubs, I mean, you know, these TV deals are monstrously big and they're getting bigger. And some of that money just has to go into, into subsidising those people between the ages of 16 and 30 or something like that because they can't afford to go. And, and I think they're an important ingredient in, in improving the atmosphere as well as, I mean, I personally think standing is the way forward, safe standing. You know, if, if the lower tier of the Matthew Harding was standing, it would be rocking, I think. Dave, David's absolutely nailed it with that. In fact, as he did in his article... Which Only 45 <laughs> minutes left of the show, guys. OK, well, I'll be... <laughs> <laughs> he has nailed it. And it's, it's fact, I mean, you know, the Supporters Trust actually released its annual survey today, and it is... I mean, we did it in July and August, way before the whole atmosphere issue kicked off with Jose. And it, it's one of the most important issues that the, uh, the supporters are concerned with. Uh, and there are, there are two solutions to that as far as they're concerned. One is uh, safe standing, as David mentioned, I totally agree with that. And the other is uh, lower prices for tickets, but more to the point, to actually make it more affordable for the 18 to 25-year-olds to go, because they're systematic, they've been systematically priced out. And, I mean, like a lot of the other clubs in the Premier League, uh, Chelsea, I think the average season ticket holder's age is something like 43, 45. Yep, I think Arsenal's very similar. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's the demographic that's wrong. It's also the the, the, the clear gentrification of football as well. I mean, David's article mentioned about the East and the the West stands, and he's absolutely right. And there there seems to be... um, I mean, with the sanitisation of football that we've had in the last 20 years since the Premier League, you know, that... The whole gentrification of it, the demographic and the dynamic has changed as a result. There's no doubt about that. Can I just jump in here? Do you know of anyone in your peer group as supporters who are pro the changes that have happened in the last 20 years universally? Well, my age group, I mean, I'm, I'm uh, 49, so that's, I think most of the people of my age group can't stand modern football. <coughs> it's as simple as that. You know, it's been sanitised. They don't like the change. We love winning. You know, we love seeing great players, but that's about it. And your ticket prices, and, and I mean, what part of that ticket price is almost kind of? I mean, you're supporting Chelsea for God's sake. I mean, you win all of the time, pretty much. I mean, do you but feel for, that for there's people, a? Yeah, but for people, for Chris, for people of my my you know uh, age, it hasn't always been like that. No, and I mean that's the thing. I mean because. You know, a lot of us started going kind of late 70s, early 80s. Uh, you know, Chelsea weren't winning a lot. In fact, we no. were pretty rubbish for, mm. for various periods of that. So actually, you know, we've got, a, we've got a, a, a phrase we use, win or lose, we're on the boot. Yeah. Because the whole point for us was to get, to get together with your mates on a Saturday, have a skinful in the pub before and after. And, you know, if you saw a goal, it was a bonus. You know, so you didn't set your expectations and your sights on, on seeing great football and a victory. You had to make a day of it. And we all kind of grew up with that. So we're not as, we're not as wedded to what's going on uh, on the pitch as perhaps the more modern fan is. I, I'm just wondering, because Chelsea have been, to, to, to me, Chelsea have been pretty much successful for the last 20 years. Mm. I mean, coming up with the Matthew Harding money from, from, the, mm-hmm. from the 90s. And I, I just think it might be, I mean, you, you lot would keep singing longer, as will City, because traditionally neither were particularly successful. But they, 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 they and City have got that lovely song, by the way, about we never win at home, we never win away, we lost last week and we lost again today. You know, that idea that it doesn't matter if you lose. Um, I do wonder with 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 Chelsea now. It's been it's been twenty years since you were a poor side, and whether whether there is an element of that because I, I can remember going to Goodison Park in the late eighties, um, and in you know, old and you were, cle- you were clearing up everywhere. <coughs> and, you, well, we, we, it, well, not that not that particular season, but we had been um, Goodison Park fairly full. Cup tie against Newcastle. Geordie, they were in the second division at the time. Geordie's coming in, making a hell of a racket. They'd obviously been rehearsing. They're doing this three-tier chorus of Blade and Races, coming in the park, ending stages. And all the Everton fans did was clap. And then they did that British Airways song, You'll Win Fuck All Again, Newcastle, Newcastle. <laughs> and that was it. And that was the Apologies, only song. Sorry. Um, that was the only song they Chris. sang all game, apart from I had to do it in, you know. It's, it's in context. And, and, and it was in context. Um, and, and that was, you know, that was an... Very cheap to get in, old style. There was still not all seating in the ground, and at a traditional grounds. And I, I do think success has an impact on this as well, um, as well as being modern football. So I think what I was trying to tease that was a very long way around it. But whether there's a, 
there's a special Chelsea element to this because you are really successful. And then people who buy tickets, who aren't buying a ticket to a game, they're buying a win. They're buying... Uh, witnessing even, a victory even people like the, the two Davids who uh, you've been going uh, they, for years yeah. uh, who you know 2-1 against QPR what's that now 4-1 against Barcelona now that's yeah. something worth getting at your yeah yeah for. I mean it's the atmosphere a, the atmosphere Chelsea I think for the for the big Champions League games for for the Tottenham game for the Man U is, is, is still pretty good but yeah but I remember I think you know I used to sit in the lower west stand uh, with my wife about 12, 14 years ago, quite so you could you could kind of see and hear the Matthew Harding, and it was it was it was noisy the whole time. Whereas now I think mm. there are periods where it's really really quiet. But there's there's, some, there's another reason for that I think, David, and I, I totally agree with you. Uh, it, it's bizarre, isn't it, that uh, you know we we can get up for a big game, and actually, funnily enough, you know, often we get labelled or thrown at us by away fans. Sing when you're winning, you only sing when you're winning. I actually think we only sing when we're losing. <laughs> You know, when we go a goal behind, mm. suddenly it becomes important and it gets the crowd up. But the other point I was going to make is that one of the reasons why I think uh, the atmosphere has got worse in the shed and, and the Matthew Harding Lower, where traditionally it tends to be more raucous and vocal, is the overzealous stewarding. Mm. I mean, in the survey that we, we, we released today, I mean, it comes across loud and clear. People are absolutely fed up with being told to sit down. Yeah. You get your name taken, you get a letter... A persistent standing, and, and you know, they threaten to take away a season ticket. Yeah, I mean, so no wonder people are, are very, you know, wary of actually trying to make some sort of a noise. Do you get told that you're on camera as well? Oh yeah, mm. I mean, they can they can, I, they can single you out by seat with the CCTV that they have at Chelsea. Yeah, I heard something interesting the other day. Um, a guy who was doing PR for Chelsea during the. Um, uh, uh, during the you know the controversy about whether we were going to move from Stamford Bridge, and there was always you know the pitch owners uh, kept, um, had to vote on it, and and he basically he was advising Bruce Buck, um, the Chelsea, the Chelsea okay. chairman, and they were having a conversation about, um, and, and the guy happened to be a Chelsea fan, and Bruce said to him, "Where do you sit?" and he said, "In the Matthew Harding lower or something." And he said, uh, Bruce Buck said, oh, what with the great unwashed? And um, he then went on to say, when did you come out of prison? And this guy just said, you know, that sums up the attitude of the, you know, Bruce, certainly. I mean, I'm not sure whether it's the the whole management, but I do think that, you know, I mean, I I absolutely adore Jose Mourinho and I think everything he says is is fantastic. He's so passionate. But if he really wants to have this conversation, he's got to have it with people like Bruce Buck. Yeah. But I think to say that that's, that's almost on par with the Newcastle lot calling their yeah. fans to refer to their. That's just well, it sums up. Well, he's, it? he's an American lawyer. You know, I mean, I've met him several times. He's, um, he he does really want to. Do, I mean, his whole. I mean, he he also he talked to um, to our paper um, a couple of years ago, and he talked about the, you know, the composition of the crowds, and he said he said basically. The 6,000 corporate seats bring in uh, as much, if not more, revenue than the other 36,000. And so basically he didn't really care about the other 36,000. And, you know, I think that that is partly... I didn't write this in the piece I wrote because... We have a lot of corporate, um, corporate <laughs> yeah. advertising. So we, 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 we I admire our interest. Really yes. but, um, <laughs> but I mean that—that—that's a fact. You know that that they are more keen to get more corporate, and um, you know because that's where they see the revenue coming from. But but my point is that you know. If you pursue that policy, you have a completely deathly silent stadium, which the TV companies are not going to be interested in, and therefore the sponsors are not going to be interested in. I was going to pick up on that, yeah, because the money comes from, all right, goes from ordinary fan, more from corporate, but a lot more from TV, and we are apparently part of the spectacle. Sorry, David, continue. Sorry, yeah. I was just going to say, I mean, the irony of that is that actually it's been a collusion between the broadcasters, the Premier League, and the clubs since the Premier League was, uh, was invented. And, you know, they, 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 the Taylor report came in, it gave them the licence to have all seater grounds, and that, that said, OK, we can now get rid of the great unwashed, as Bruce lovingly calls us, <laughs> and, and, and put in people who are, gonna, are prepared to pay more money, who are going to spend more money in the ground, are going to spend more money in the megastore beforehand, because people of my generation, we don't care about that. We're going to spend our money in a pub that we've been going to for 20, 30 years. We'll get in there, you know, whenever we want, and then we'll do what we have to do there, and we'll go again. The you know, t- we are not commercially attractive to them. And I think the other point in that, I mean, if you look at all of the Premier League clubs' uh, finances these days, it's pretty much split between a third match day revenue, a third broadcast revenue, and a third commercial activities. For Chelsea particularly, uh, the match day revenue is, is fixed. 
You know, they've got a 42,000-seater stadium, which they fill out 99% throughout the season. They can't squeeze any more money out of that. So actually, they're going to go after the commercial revenue and the TV revenue. So the fans that go to the games every every other week are not important. What proportion of that of that forty two thousand? I say we take away the six thousand. So we've got thirty. We've got thirty six thousand seats. Yeah. Take away another There's four three, for away fans. Well, or three, three, three. Okay. Yeah. So what proportion of those are season ticket holders? Twenty five. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And so, and the rest of those sort of the the rest of the tickets you know, that go on general sale, just get sold out pretty much instantly, I'm guessing. They go to members. I mean, basically, you, you have a split. Uh, I think it's something like, well, I mean, you've got your 25,000 season ticket holders and hmm. whatever the proportion that is left, I mean, they'll keep, they'll keep stuff back for the corporates and whatever, but uh, they'll, they'll go to members first. And unless you're a season ticket holder or, or a member of Chelsea, you don't you get a get ticket in. for a home game. So, I mean, let's, let's look... I'm looking at the time and thinking, yeah, OK, let's look at Jose Mourinho himself. He made these comments. Now, is it fair that he even made the point in the first place? I think it would be if he had the... If he used his influence to go to the management at Chelsea and said, right, sort out the stewarding, stop alienating all the younger fans who want to create an atmosphere, yep. stop taking names. If he qualified those comments with action, fair enough, he's every right to make them, but... In a standalone context, maybe to detract from what happened on the pitch. Has Jose Mourinho given any indication that he understands all that we've just been talking about for the past 25 minutes? I don't know. I don't think managers do understand in the same way that a lot of journalists don't understand because they don't go to the matches as fans, which is why these matters don't get covered. Sorry, slight exception. Yeah. No, no, we have an exception. <laughs> well, of course, yeah, but the, the mainstream journalists yeah. for, for all the larger papers don't generally write about these issues because they don't experience them. It, it may make up um, like a paragraph in a match report yeah. if there is something like that and it would solely be covering the fact that these comments had been made and not the reason why. I, I, I think it's inconceivable, though, that he doesn't, um, doesn't, doesn't understand some of these issues. Um, I mean, you, you had the John Terry um, incident where he, he phoned the, the, um, the guy who put something on Instagram um, you know, and John Terry's very aware of, of lots of these issues, I think. I mean, um, I'm down at the academy quite a lot because my son plays at, um, at the under-9s uh, at Chelsea. And, um, you know, the, the, all the guys there, all the coaches, they're all talking about this the whole time. And, you know, I'm sure they discuss it. I'm sure they discuss it with Jose. I think, I mean, although it did seem to be a little bit of an attack on the fans, I, I think he's just... He's raising it as an issue because it is a big issue and he wants to get to the bottom of it personally. I might be wrong, but he, he, you know, what he's really doing, I think, is he's having a go at the board and he's saying sort this out in a subtle way. But, I mean, I know people have taken it the wrong way. Um, I, I, I personally don't, don't agree with that interpretation. I mean, David, you're part of the Supporters Trust. I mean, how... Are you like an MP in that sense? Do people talk to you directly? <laughs> I you, hope not. Yeah, <laughs> do people come to you with their problems? I do, well? and that's absolutely what we're here for. I mean, you know, we are there to represent the, the supporters and certainly the members of the trust to the club. And, and I think actually, I think number, number one, I think nobody likes to be criticised for something that is as touchy a subject as this. And I, and I think a lot of the frustration that came out from the supporters was that actually, you know, well, he criticised the fans, but actually we've been trying, we've been pointing this out for years. You know, we've been making, trying to make the club aware for years about the issues around safe standing, about the overzealous stewarding, about the ticket pricing, about making it inaccessible for the youngsters, and so on, so on, so on. So I think that half of them were aggrieved because of the fact that it, it sounded like he was being ignorant, and the other didn't like the fact that they're doing the best that they can and they were being criticised. Having said that, I, you know, Mourinho is an incredibly clever guy, and, and like David said, I can't believe that he is completely ignorant of the situation. He is no fool. And I think the great thing is that he speaks uh, from a position of strength. Chelsea are top of the league. They're playing great football, which is what Roman demands, as we all know, um, and he's well-loved by the fans. So if anybody can get this issue on the agenda and not get shot down for it, it's Jose Mourinho. And, and I think this is the point that I made, the final point that I made in, in the article that I wrote. You know, he has put this four square on the agenda and he can leverage the club, hopefully. And that allows us to come in behind him and keep, you know, making the point too. So I'm, I'm really grateful that he's done that. 
Um, and hopefully we can get something done about it. I mean, is Jose Mourinho in a position at that club and in football almost uniquely in that he can that he he has that kind of that should spar to even use his privilege in that yeah. sense. I, I think he is. I, I mean, he, he's in an, in an unrivaled position, really, isn't he? I mean, he's, he's universally loved by the supporters. Absolutely. And it, it, even even coming with, I mean, you know, even okay. I think we had every every right to have a go back and say, well, hang on a minute, you know, don't 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 beat us up about it. We're we're doing the best that we can. But I think you know, we were right. We were we were the all right to criticise him doing it but I think ultimately it's not affected how we love him in any way shape or form exactly I mean I mean I my feeling very strongly and I sat next to somebody last night who's a very good friend of Bruce Buck and he kept saying to me throughout the dinner uh, he kept saying Jose's a, a good manager but he's a terribly difficult person he's such a egoist and all this sort of thing and I just I, I honestly feel that those comments he made the person who will be most sore about those are Bruce will be Bruce Buck yeah but Bruce doesn't run the club no, he doesn't. But he he does have no. But he does, you know, his attitude towards, um, you know, wanting to gentrify the, the the supporter base. You know, his comments about the great unwashed and the Matthew Harding, him and and Gourlay, although Gourlay's now gone. I think I think he does have an influence on that. I, I don't disagree with you there at all, Dave. And I know Bruce, and I, you know, I've dealt with him several times. But what I would say is that, I mean, Bruce is quite lucky to be there still after the fiasco with the with the CPO. Pet trainers, yeah, yeah. So he, I mean, you know. Bruce needs to watch it. Ron is no longer there. No. I'm intrigued. I'd love to find out why that is. I mean, the people who hold the power of that club are Marina. Marina Grunov yeah, guy yeah. and obviously Roman. Yeah. So, you know, I think one of the things that really intrigued me in the aftermath of, of Jose's comments um, were there was a press conference fairly soon after that, I think, for the European game. And the journalists were hammering into him about the issue. And they started to get it towards, you know, it's about the ticket prices, guys. You need to look at that. And then Steve Atkins pretty much shut him up. So that told me that he, had, he hadn't told the club at all that he was going to raise this atmosphere issue. He did this off his own back. Yeah. They were unprepared for it. I don't think it's unprecedented. I'm, I'm thinking about, I think Alex Ferguson had a similar thing. He didn't have a go at the fans, but he definitely had a go about atmosphere and changing demographic yeah. of support at Old Trafford. Mm. And he, he would have been, I mean, before he left, he would have been in an analogy position. Mm. You couldn't, mm. you couldn't mm. touch him. So, yeah, there could be something in that. But. Well, well, we'll see, won't we? If, if the stewards back off and become less draconian and overzealous, then we'll know that Mourinho's comments have hit home and action has been taken behind the scenes. And maybe I'm being too simplistic, but if they don't back off and if ticket prices don't come down a bit or if there aren't more initiatives, then his comments have made no impact whatsoever with the higher echelons within the club. And season after season, it will continue to get that little bit quieter. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit more about Roman, um, but we're going to have a a little bit of a break. Uh, We're going to play our first piece of Chelsea-themed music, Jerry Mulligan with Chelsea Bridge, so that's coming in now. Um, This is Cafe Couch on Resonance 104.4 FM. We'll be back shortly. Wasn't that lovely? That was lovely. But can I just say, Chelsea is the most sung about suburb in the world. There are more songs associated with Chelsea than any other. And I'm very curious why you picked that one. Uh, The whole plethora of Chelsea songs that you could have done. Not just to do with the football club, but to do with, you know, the suburb. Because it was seven and a half minutes long, Chris. That's why you did it. And it was lovely. Amanda doesn't think so. Three and a half minutes of I Don't Want to Go to Chelsea by Elvis Costello and the Attractions. Or Chelsea Girl by uh, Simple Minds would have 
could have done. Never mind, that's me. Just Write in and complain yourselves, cafecaucho at gmail.com yeah. or Twitter <laughs> at cafecaucho. We'd love to hear music. your feedback on that one piece of music. Thanks, Chris. Right, uh, so we're talking about atmosphere, Chelsea FC, Jose Marino's comments and what can be done to change the demographics, not just at Chelsea, but at clubs itself, uh, other clubs across the Premier League. Um, but uh, David Chigi uh, of the Chelsea Supporters Trust um, what involvement do you have with the club at board level? And I know you're having conversations, but, but also Roman Abramovich, we, we mentioned him very, very briefly, but I mean, he's the guy at the top of the tree here. Surely he wants a club that is going to be loud and boisterous as a status symbol. Surely you you want a, a crowd to, to, to be loud and raucous, as a status symbol, a loud, raucous club is, is a much better thing, no? I think absolutely. I mean, look, clearly I, I don't meet with Roman, but uh, I think it's clear that he's uh, he's an unusual owner, isn't he, in many respects. But I, I think he's genuinely a fan. And, and I think what attracted him to the game and then to the Premier League uh, is, is the fact that we do have a history of fantastic atmospheres around our football grounds. And it's part of the buzz and the excitement, and I think that that's what you know. That's what he he sought when he bought into the into the into the game. Well, my my ones, I don't have like memories that so much of of, mem- of Roman Abramovich, but the, the, there's common TV shots of, of of Roman chewing his fingers mm. off. Um, you know, he's re- he's really into this. Yeah. He, does, he, he goes into the the changing rooms just to sort of soak up that atmosphere of being part of it. Yeah. You know, he's... I mean, it, it, he gets it. it. It's not like, like it is for a lot of the other. I mean, I should say, you know, what seem to be particularly American owners that have come into the Premier League. It, 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 for him, it's not. It's not a business. He does it because he enjoys it. and It's fun. You know, he, he gets a buzz out of it. Um, he wouldn't have invested what is it, seven hundred million or more into the club since, since he turned up if it, if it wasn't. That's frightening and alienating enough as a statement for most people as it is. It, but it is. but there is the element of the human being of him that you can yeah. kind of see on the face of things. It. You know, and and I think that, that that's good for us too. I mean, one of the, you know, one of the reasons why uh, we, set, I mean, you know, we set up the trust at a time when the when uh, the, the supporters were generally pretty unhappy with what was going on at the club. Uh, but the main reason for doing it was that it could be a conduit for what the supporters felt about issues, and we could engage with the club in a sensible manner. I mean, it's very easy sniping, criticising, put the boot in from from outside, but actually you don't change anything unless you can engage with people in an adult manner, and that's very much what the trust was about. Is, um, there, is there anyone out there that could actually say it, Roman, knock the prices down a bit? Um, as, as to, you know, to boil that down to as reductive and as a crass a question as that, I, is, is, is it a thing well, that yes, could happen? Yes and no, because, I mean, as I said, you know, obviously, clearly, I don't, or we don't meet directly with Roman, but, I mean, we meet with enough of his people to be able to get that message across. And if hmm. you remember, actually, a few years ago, he... In fact, I think it must have been, it must have been either after they'd sacked Robbie or after they'd uh, you know appointed Benitez. I can't remember what, what the timeline was, but he quite famously gathered together about eight or ten fans and, and, and met directly with them. That was nothing to do with the trust, I hope to add. But you know, it, it shows that he actually does want to have his ear you know close to the ground and what's actually going on. So part of our job is one to you know to actually keep the club abreast of these issues. Because, you know, we can't assume that they will know what's going on or even understand it. So we have to communicate that effectively. But also uh, then actually, you know, discuss with them what we can do to change things. That's very much what it's about. I mean, David Hellier, I mean, is is Roman sort of complicit or even even could be considered to be sort of part of, part of a problem in culture at the club? That, that... Um, personally, I, I don't think so. I think, I, I think he... Um, he, he, yeah. I mean, I, I agree with David. I mean, he, he really looks like a fan. He gets it, and I think he, he'd love a better atmosphere. I also think that um, Chelsea come in for a, a bit of unfair criticism on pricing. Um, I mean, when I, I used to have um, discussions with Ken Bates, when I used to say to him, you know, we'd be playing a cup match in midweek, and he'd have he'd be charging full price, and I'd say to him, "What, Ken? What is going on? <laughs> you know, um, we're playing Norwich on Wednesday night. There's going to be fifteen thousand or ten thousand or something." And he'd say, and I say, "Why don't you bring down the prices?" And he'd say, "Oh, it's rubbish. You just devalue the product and all that." So Roman comes in, and Peter Kenyon, who I didn't take to at the beginning because he was from Man United, and I didn't like the way <laughs> I d- didn't like the way he treated Rani area or then in retrospect in retrospect he probably should have sacked him even sooner but 
um, you know, Kenyon, he cut the prices of cup games. We've had we've had capacity crowds for all our cup games ever, ever since, apart from Champions League a couple of years ago when they started putting the prices up again too high. And so on the whole, I think they've really listened. It's, it, I, I don't think the overall pricing is wrong. I think what it is is like, the, like we were discussing earlier, certain groups can't get in. Uh, they can't afford the pricing. So, you know, like the 18 to 25, maybe I'd extend it to 30. Mm. Um, that, that's where we're wrong. I mean, I don't have a problem with them charging whatever they charge to corporates. I love the idea of Club 18 to 30. <laughs> 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 yeah, I want a Club 18 to 30, not a Club Saga Club, which is what we have. Um, I mean, they're fine. That You know, they're obviously very welcome as well. But I just think we need a broader age range. Um, and that is something to do with pricing. But overall, the pricing is not so bad. We, were, we used to be more expensive than Tottenham and Arsenal. We're not anymore, I don't think, for you know, the average uh, fan. It is still high and you know, they could bring it down a little bit. But they have listened, I think, to, to people like David and to other supporters groups. And, and uh, you know, the fact that if we get a, a Capital One home like Bolton, I mean, under Ken Bates, how, how many people would have been there on a Wednesday night against Bolton? Where, uh, when we had a Champions League game the week before, there'd have been 10,000 or something mm. because he'd have charged 50 quid or whatever he could get away with. Now that the ticket prices, I mean, Arsenal have done the same sort of thing. Crystal Palace definitely certainly do it. You know, there are lower prices for those less premium matches, shall we say. And uh, the atmosphere and the noise noticeably different because the, the the people in the ground are that much different i mean do you get do you get sort of this strange I, I find it quite a strange atmosphere at the football when you get a crowd which are where there's a lot of sort of not 18 to 30 year olds but kids basically mm. where you know sort of eight to 14 year olds or it's, it's when you know fathers and, and mothers can take their kids along or you get family days or that sort of I, thing i mean I, I think when it's a one-off like that um you know, so the Bolton game. I mean, I was really looking forward to it because I thought there would be, you know, a different uh, type of crowd and they'd be younger. But but actually, the, the atmosphere is not not really any better. In fact, probably slightly worse because you've got you've got young kids on the whole who never get the chance to go, um, and you don't have the uh, you know the sort of. Um, I mean, I think atmospheres happen because people go regularly and they go together in groups. I, I think that's think that's true. But I, I mean, I have seen the opposite this where I was, I was at a uh, Everton Chelsea game and I think we we played you in it was a League Cup replay and we were playing you in the league the following weekend and Everton didn't sell out their allocation suddenly in the shed there, were, there was a bunch of people who wouldn't normally go who were of um Openton youth kind of in their 20s and they, they behaved in a different way which was really quite annoyingly because they played up to a stereotype of Chelsea fans from years ago and were trying to create havoc and cause trouble so it doesn't always work to mm. your advantage um, in that but I, I I, I think what you mean, that yes, there are codes of behaviour at football matches which people who go regularly take for granted. And if you go irregularly, you, you, you're slightly, you're not quite sure how to behave, even with the internet telling you how to do it. <laughs> mm. Just to, to pick up a point that David made about the ticket prices, I, I think he's, he's right to a certain extent. You know, the club have actually uh, tried to move towards this in some respects. I mean... Uh, you know, freeze the season ticket prices, for example, for about the last five years is a, is, a, is a good example. But I think, you know, the trouble is, is that the rot set in long ago and that the prices for football have been hiked up so much, um, you know, in the last 20 years. <coughs> that, it, that I think generally, I, I disagree with him on one point. I do think that 880 quid for a season ticket is too expensive. Um, you know, that is, our, I mean, when, and it's not just the price of the season ticket. It's the, I mean, you know, it costs you, I don't know, 50 to 100 quid to go to a game, you know, travel, beer, whatever. Across the yeah. season, it can easily turn into yeah, two yeah, grand, yeah. can't it? Yeah. If you go away as well, then you've got the expense of that. So yeah, David, I, 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 I completely agree with you. I was just making a relative point, really, compared to Arsenal and Tottenham. I think oh, I agree with that, David. I mean, you know, I think there's a lot of rubbish talk. Just, about yeah, that get get the stick into them when you can. <laughs> Absolutely, no, but there is. There's a lot of rubbish about you know. Oh, we're the most expensive. Yeah. We're not. I mean, we and we we haven't been for a long time. So I do accept that some that some movement has been made, but I think it's not general, enough. Yeah, but it is a market pressure. I mean, you sell out every week. Um, it is, but it's yeah, being it's... sold out to people who can afford it. And there's an argument to say that a lot of the people who can afford it aren't the people that are going to be singing. And that's another point that David was making. Really, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a valid point, but you know, on, a, on a business model, you, you want, I suppose you want to maximise the amount of money. I, I, I don't know what the answer is apart from getting bigger grounds. I think West Ham, um, looking to my left at... Um, hmm. 
Me. Yes, Amanda. at you, Amanda. Hi. Yeah, um, I, I think this will be a godsend for West Ham because I think they will be to do, able to do exactly what Chelsea yeah, can't do, which pricing. is drop the prices massively and bring in a whole generation of uh, uh, preteens and teens. No, I think they'll, they'll build up a new fan base. And I, I don't know what the solution is for Chelsea, but a bigger ground would be obviously, or a expansion of Stanford. I don't know how you do it. It's very difficult. But that would be one way of making Stanford cheaper Bridge tickets. isn't... I, mean, you, you, I, don't, I don't know what you can do. You've done about as much expansion there as you can do, haven't you? No, I disagree. No. We no. can knock the hotel down and go... That, that's, See, I that, that, yeah, 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 now that, fair enough. That's yeah. a monstrosity. Um, but, Sorry, David, you were going to come in as well, weren't you? No, I was basically going to agree with him, knock the Bates Motel down. Uh, but I think I have to get rid of Bates, though, first, because I think he's... <laughs> yeah, he's, he's in there. Yeah. Well, with his mother. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, knock that down. And, I mean, I think, I mean, as David probably knows, I mean, the, the club are actually looking into to a feasibility study of redeveloping the existing site. I think they've recognised that a lot of the supporters don't want to move away from Stamford Bridge, but clearly... Uh, for all of these reasons and more, they want to they want to have more people coming in on a, on a match day. And from what I understand, it, it, you know, I don't know. I haven't seen the results yet because it's not out. But I, I, you know, architect friends of mine say that it's perfectly feasible to extend, um, you know, over the railway line towards the back, not the Bates Motel down, as we said. So there are things that they can do to get an additional fifteen. You know, I would imagine at least fifteen thousand extra mm. seats in there. Do you think a singing section would work at Stamford Bridge? I know singing sections themselves, some fans hate them because what's worse than no atmosphere is an orchestrated atmosphere. Is it something that's contrived? But I almost think singing sections are here to stay in a necessary evil, if you like. Could... Because you could solve that problem just by allowing freedom of movement in one stand, couldn't you? I think actually that point is more relevant. I mean, you're right, Amanda, singing sections... Have have been tried. Um, there's a there's a lovely lad who's uh, you know trying to sort the shed end atmosphere out at the moment, and he, he's galvanised quite a lot of youngsters, interestingly enough, to just you know to do just that. I mean, one one anecdote because I, I was you know I, I, anything that we can do to, to to improve the atmosphere and make the match day experience better for the youngsters, I'm all for. And I remember um, you know talking to to Graham Smith, who, who runs the ticketing at Chelsea a while back. Uh, funny enough, about Wembley, not Stamford Bridge because there are a lot of issues when we get to Wembley finals that you get people who want to stand and sing and you get people sitting there who don't want to do that and want to sit down and then moan at people standing and singing. And I said there must be a way to sort that out. And he actually made a really interesting point was that he actually got a lot of applications for tickets from people who would never want to stand and sing, but they wanted to be where the atmosphere was. So it just, show, it just shows you how complicated this can be. But ticketless seating would be, would be something, I think. That's the answer. It is, but I think we're, you know, even if the safe standing campaign is successful, the, the, there's still the decision, argument to be had that the, I think the authorities want people to stand. They must have that control. It's they? absolutely down to control because the police say we need to know who is sitting in every seat, hence the nervous breakdowns people have if you're found in the wrong seat. But that to me is so authoritarian and big brother. You know, they may as well say wear a T-shirt with your name and date of birth on Why it. Why can't they treat us like adults, man? Because we're football fans, David. You know, but that, that's, I mean, you and I have had this discussion many, many times and, and, and absolutely agree on it. But, I mean, you know, you go away, it doesn't happen away. People move around there, and I know it for a fact because I've done it. You know, you go and find it, find where you're most Oh, you know, they do, and it does happen more so at away games, and some grounds are very, very good in allowing standers to move to the back and sitters to move at the front, but yeah. other grounds have the stewards saying, give me your ticket, I need to make sure that you are John Smith in seat A1, as my little clipboard says. Yep. So there needs to be a debate about that as well. Uh, absolutely right. Um, but I, I, you know, I think ultimately, if you if you if you want to, to get some sort of a return, I don't think we'll ever get a return to the atmosphere that used to exist in the seventies and the eighties. No. But so in, it, interestingly, on this, digressing slightly, Matthew Syed in the Times this week wrote an article about ticket pricing, and he said some clubs do introduce cheaper areas, but then he alluded to the fact that the middle classes then move into the cheaper areas, <laughs> which I found really quite interesting because it was almost an implication of some sort of class apartheid. Right. And, and you know, the working classes will generate the atmosphere in the middle classes uh, and that uh, argument, which is, which I think that's yeah. an old thing no, I think that, that well, cliche I was making about Graham and, and Wembley exactly that Mm. I, I think there, there, there would be working class people in the stands and middle class people would deliberately go on the terracing. Martin Amis wrote mm. about this in a novel about 20 years in mm. London Fields. Yeah. The, the idea that the working class criminal bloke is in the stands and the middle class bloke is in the terracing. Absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I've, I've worked in corporate hospitality in Tottenham when I first moved to London years ago. And, and I, can, I can tell you there was... 
in some pretty high-end seats, there were definitely people that you could describe as salt of the earth, <laughs> certainly. So and you they know, had but money. There's, there's no, money exactly. It's <gasps> solely about the cash, and that's fine. But, but, you know, there isn't this real congruence between class and where you sit in a football ground. No, it's just it's nonsense. You can't generalise. You really can't. Of course you can't. But you are allowed to be classist in a way that you aren't allowed to be any otherist. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a point possibly Not for... Not that I'm condoning <laughs> that you should be. I just realised what I said I should do. Leave it to the men. It's a safe... It's um, a safe critique. So, I, look, I mean, Chelsea now, really, we can, we can keep one eye on them, can't we? Because with the comments that have been made and the situation as it is now... Um, we're at a tipping point, aren't we, with football? In that it Do you could, really think so? I think it could continue. Well, it could. It could continue to disappear up its own rectum, or it could it could go the other way. And, and at least we, you know, with with safe standing and with the sort of measures that are possibly in, on their way to. But the bubble burst be, argument has been going on for years. Yeah, and that's years what I was thinking. It's, I think, uh, yeah, but I think football is very short-sighted, and it does take its customer base absolutely for granted, and it certainly yeah. does need to be far more long-termist, including safe standing. But, but how, David, right, okay, so, so let's change to, it. I need to quote Ralph Darendorf about the ability of capitalism to continue <laughs> bribe the workers and keep going on longer, and the, the need for an absolute breakdown. Marx was absolutely wrong. And <laughs> football is in this context. Football, the bubble won't burst. They will keep doing it, I, and that's, that's my belief on that. So I, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen because, as Amanda said, this has been going on for twenty years, and I've been waiting for it to happen. And every time something else reinflates, I think there will be good things that happen. I think safe standing will come in, but I don't think that'll. I, I think that the monstrosity that is the English Premier League <laughs> and the money involved will keep will keep rolling. Lovely. <laughs> Tell me to be downbeat on that. Think no, indeed. <laughs> oh well. So that's all we have time for tonight. Uh, first, I think I must thank my guests. Uh, David Chigi, Chelsea Supporters Trust. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, David Hellier, especially, actually, editor at City AM. You've a paper to put together. So thank you to actually taking an hour out of your time this evening to come and talk to us. That's um, OK. It's good. Um, Great hope pleasure, you both yeah. enjoyed it. Uh, I must also thank, of course, Chris Roberts. Thank you. And Amanda yeah, Jacks. Thank you. Looking forward to seeing the Davids on Boxing Day. The Davids on Boxing Day. Oh, Can't have, wait. Have you Me got too. of... Uh, You've got a bit of Chelsea hospitality, have you? No, no, no. I'm just sort of because we play each other, don't we? Oh, and we will put an end yeah. to the oh, Of course. Yeah, Sorry, this was me. This was me thinking that you'd arranged a corporate jolly at Chelsea. never. On the back of these two, and just completely undermined any conversation that we've had subsequently, previously. Should we liquidise us now? Yeah, I think we should. I think we should. Before that, I need to thank you guys out there for listening. Please get in touch. Actually, tweet at Cafe Calcio. Email Cafe Calcio at gmail.com we leave you as ever with the aforementioned tune we couldn't finish the show with anything else this is Harry Jail started the liquidator and until next time all that's left to say is good night good morning good whenever wherever you are and we'll speak to you soon Resonance 104.4 FM.